Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Paul's solution to the problem of idolatry was to present Christ, to present Jesus. We live in a world of idols, just like the Athenians did. Ours are different, but they're very much idols. And as we've been seeing all the way through Acts here, the answer is always to get the gospel to people. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 17, verses 16 through 34, in a message titled, Paul Among the Philosophers. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now, it was because of persecution in Thessalonica and then also in Berea that Paul is actually forced to go to Athens. Whether or not Paul intended to go to Athens, we do not know. But he's there really as a result of circumstances beyond his control. So while he's there, he's there by himself, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to to join him. He, as, as he's going about the city, we see that he is sharing the gospel in the, in the synagogues. That was his normal practice if, if there was a synagogue in a city, as we've seen in the past. And uh, basically, just wherever uh, he could find an audience, he, w- he was looking to share the gospel. And so he has this encounter with these philosophers, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and, and this opens up a door for Paul to speak at the Areopagus. Now, we'll talk in a moment about what that actually was. But this is really an amazing gospel opportunity for Paul in his day. So this is what I want to do. I want to look at the background to this opportunity that opened up for Paul. I want to look at his method and his message. And then finally, I want to appeal to those that, that might have similar kinds of um, mental giftings to uh, use those gifts for God's glory. And let me just say up front here, this whole encounter is something that not, not just anybody could have really engaged in. It took a special person to do what Paul did here. And as, as we see, you know, God has all different kinds of servants with with, uh, all different types of giftings. Paul had a unique gift set that really enabled him to effectively minister in this case. So we want to kind of look at that. But as we make our way there, let's for just a quick second, talk about the city of Athens. Just like today, probably all of us know something, at least uh, a little bit, about ancient Athens. In that day, everybody knew about Athens. Athens had been the foremost Greek city-state since the 5th century BC. And even after its incorporation into the Roman Empire, it retained a proud intellectual independence. 
I mean, if you think about it, the, the city uh, had a rich uh, philosophical tradition, names like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, names that we're still familiar with today. They were the, you know, the foundational philosophers there in that ancient city. It's literature, art. It was notable for achievements in the cause of human liberty. Uh, of course, even today, people would say that democracy kind of had its birth in ancient Athens. And uh, all the way up until Paul's time, it still retained an unrivaled reputation as the empire's intellectual metropolis. So this is, this is like the Roman Empire's intellectual center. So between Rome itself and Athens, these are the two centers of intellect. They're the centers of culture and, and you know, politics and all of those kinds of things. So this is uh, the place that Paul comes to. Now, I want to look at um, four things regarding Paul here. Let's look at what Paul saw when he was there, what he felt about what he saw, what he did about it, and ultimately, we want to look at what he said. So, so when Paul arrived in, in, in Athens, he would have seen, well, of course, he would have seen the uh, magnificent structures of the Acropolis. Uh, if you've ever taken a trip to Greece, even today, there on the Acropolis, you still have the, the ruins of these ancient temples, particularly the, the Parthenon. And it, it's, a, it's a very, even, even you know, 2,500 years later, 2,600 years later, it's still a magnificent structure to this very day. But it would have been all in its, of course, in its heyday at the time that Paul would have been there. Well, its heyday was earlier, but it, but it was still fully intact as it would have been even a few centuries earlier. So he would have seen that. And then there is the what is translated here, the marketplace, is the Greek word, the agora. We say agora, but the proper pronunciation is agora. And, and that was, it's translated marketplace, but you know, for us, that doesn't help that much because you, know, you think of maybe like Tustin Marketplace or something like that, a, a parking lot with a bunch of shops <laughs> that you can go shopping in. That's not exactly what the marketplace in those days was. As a matter of fact, the agora there in Athens was, again, it was, um, it was filled with beautiful architecture. It was artistically, these painted porticos. You know, it was really an amazing place. And, and it was a center of uh, Greek life and thought. That's really what the, the marketplace was. So Paul saw those things, but he also saw idols. He saw an endless sea of idols. Xenophon, the, the Greek philosopher and historian, referred to Athens as one great altar and sacrifice to the gods. So it, it, some, some said there were more gods in Athens than there were people. And one uh, Roman satirist basically said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. So this is what Paul sees when he comes to Athens. Now, like I said, remember, Paul is a Jew. And if there's one thing that Jews know that God does not approve of, it's idols. 
And yet Paul is now in this city that is just utterly filled with idols. So it says that while he was there in Athens, his spirit was provoked. So, so how did Paul feel about this? Well, his spirit was provoked. The NIV tr uh, translates this greatly distressed. And the word here could actually uh, also be describing anger. So Paul saw this and he was, he was very agitated in his spirit over what he saw. Paul was really, in a sense, he was angered because as a Jew, he knows that idols are an affront to God. And, and so his reaction is really based on his zeal for God. Paul looks at this and basically just says, this is wrong. This is wrong. All of these idols, these people worshiping idols. So Paul knows two things. He knows idols are an affront to God, but he also knows that idols are detrimental to people. That those who serve idols, idols are destructive. They never deliver what, what they promise. So, so this has provoked Paul. This has really stirred him up. And as a result of that, what did he do? It says there that he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the agora, the marketplace, daily with those who happened to be there. So this moved Paul to start to go forward with the gospel. Now remember, Paul is not, this is not part of the missionary journey. At least it wasn't on the itinerary. Paul is in Athens because he's, he's, he had to flee for his life from Berea. And what he's you know, mainly doing in Athens, he's just waiting for his uh, team workers to show up so they can head on to the next location. But you see in this that, that God sovereignly puts Paul in this place. And so Paul, undoubtedly recognizing that at a certain point, like, okay, I'm here. God's placed me here. So he begins to reason. Now, we, we looked previously at the idea of reasoning. Remember, we talked about reasoning from the scriptures. And it's the same word. So this, is, this was what Paul did. Now, in this particular case, especially when it comes to what was happening in the marketplace, the agora, Paul wasn't so much preaching as he was discussing debating, arguing, but, you know, in a, in a, in a good sense, uh, because that's what you did in that environment in the culture. Now, he goes into the synagogue, and he starts there with the Jews, and we can be fairly confident that he did the similar thing with the Jews that he had previously done. He points them to the scriptures and shows them that Jesus is a fulfillment of the scriptures. But then when he gets out into the marketplace, it's a different situation. And as we look at Paul's method, we see that Paul uses a different method when he's ministering in the, in the marketplace, in the agora. He uses a different method. It's a method of, basically, it, it's, a, it's a conversational method. Uh, method. It's a, it's a discussion. It's a debate. It's, you know, stirring things up. And it says with anybody who would listen to him. So Paul's solution to the problem of idolatry was to present Christ 
to present Jesus. We live in a world of idols, just like the Athenians did. Ours are, are different, but they're very much idols. And as we've been seeing all the way through Acts here, the, the answer is always to get the gospel to people. And that's what Paul understood, and that's what he did. Now, it says that as he was going about this, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they encountered him. So just really quick, without going into any lengthy detail and probably an oversimplification of, of who they were, the Epicureans were the followers of Epicurus and the Stoics were the followers of a man named Zeno. And the Epicureans were really, to put it in a, in a context we can understand, and they were very much this, they were the cultural liberals. They were the relativist of the day. They actually believed that there was no real meaning or purpose to life, although they didn't believe in scientific naturalism or evolution as we know it today. They did think that everything just kind of randomly came into existence with no real rhyme or reason behind it. And so their, their main emphasis was to enjoy life. The Epicureans were about pleasure. Now the Stoics, on the other hand, uh, they were different. Uh, they were very much the cultural conservatives. They were the, the absolutist at the time. And um, for them, life was about virtue and duty. You know, sometimes if you see a person who has uh, you know, no real emotional reaction to uh, something that there should have been an emotional reaction to, you say, wow, that person was pretty stoic. Well, it, it comes from this, this philosophy that you just, you know, you kind of just, it's like, like the British, you know, back in the Second World War when they were bombing London, what was the counsel? Be calm and carry on. You know, the bombs blowing up around you, just don't even let it phase you. Don't, don't show fear, don't show anxiety. Uh, that was pretty much the mentality of the Stoics. And the Stoics, um, Epicureans took their name from their founder, Epicurus. The Stoics took their name from the portico. The Stoa is what it was called in the Greek. That's where they met. So they took their name from the place they met. Now, these, so these guys are actually, you know, Paul's, in, he's engaging with whoever he can in the marketplace, but now these philosophers, these, these guys are bona fide philosophers, they uh, engage Paul, and it says that there's, there's the question, uh, what, does, what does this babbler want to say? That was not a flattering comment, referring to him as a babbler. The Greek word is uh, a seed picker. And the idea was that Paul was a guy who just picked up little bits of information here or there and kind of put together his own theory about things. And, you know, it was a, a term of derision. Uh, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Notice it says he's a proclaimer of foreign gods, plural. And here's the reason why they said gods, because he preached Jesus and the resurrection. You see, in Greek, the, the word for resurrection is anastasis. That was also a, a woman's name. 
So to some, they thought Paul was talking about a male deity and a female deity. He's preaching these foreign gods. They, they weren't even clear that uh, at this point that Paul was preaching actually a, a resurrection. So they want to be able to examine more thoroughly what he's saying. So they invite Paul now to the Areopagus. Now, the, this word means the hill or really literally it means more the rock of Ares or the hill of Ares. Ares was the, the Greek god of war. And so this is connected to a myth back in their, in their history. And in classical times, this Areopagus functioned as a court. But in Paul's day, it was really not, not even so much the location because they probably had shifted to the, to the Agora as their meeting place. But it, in Paul's day, this was a council of the intellectual and the cultural elites. So what they're basically doing here is they're inviting Paul to come and to speak to the, the cultural uh, influencers of the day. So this, this is an amazing opportunity for Paul here. And so he is brought before them. And so they took him, verse 19, they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. And then Luke adds this comment, for all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So here's Paul. Now, here's the question. How, how would you even begin to address a, a group of people like this? And this is where we see the uniqueness of Paul in some ways. This is where we see the, the brilliance of Paul, the wisdom that he had. And it's also where we see something about Paul's culture. Paul was a, a cultured person in the sense that he was a person who had a broad understanding of things in his time. And where some of the you know, some of the other apostles, of course, having had their entire life experience limited to the land of Israel, many of them to the northern region, the Galilee, you know, their cultural experience would have been relatively limited in comparison to Paul. So Paul was a man who kind of had a, a much broader cultural experience. So where for some, of course, among the Jews, for some people, uh, a situation like this would just freak them out. I mean, just showing up in Athens, they couldn't have even handled it. They're like, oh, these idols, I got to get out of here. I can't, I can't take this. Uh, but that wasn't the case for Paul. He was provoked, but it wasn't like, I got to get out of here because there's too many idols. He's like, I got to engage these people about these idols. And so notice what he does, though. And this is where you see his brilliance. So he stood in the midst of the Areopagus. He stood in the midst of this council and he said, men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. Now, the King James Version translates this word religious as superstitious, which is really not the right way to translate it. 
because, you know, if you stood in front of these guys and said, man, you guys are so superstitious, that would have slammed the door immediately for any, you know, further ability to share. Because, you know, when you, when you approach somebody and offend them right off the bat, it kind of closes the door for any further real, you know, opportunity. And so this is where we can learn some stuff from Paul. Because we look at certain things, just like Paul saw in his day, and, and our tendency might be sometimes to just automatically say how horrible that is, how bad that is, how evil that is. And it, it's probably indeed the case. But it doesn't really lend itself. If we take that approach, it doesn't lend itself to us being able to get the gospel to people. So we see Paul's method was, it was a wise method. So he says, so he's going to meet them on their own turf, so to speak. He says, well, you're obviously religious. I mean, you know, Athens is one big uh, altar and one big sacrifice. You're, you're very religious people. And I even noticed as I was walking through, I saw that there was a shrine to the unknown God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you about the unknown God. So you see, here's Paul. This is so, this is brilliant the way he approaches it. He takes something that's theirs and he says, okay, I'm going to use this to tell you the truth about God. And what we see here with Paul, and this is the way that we can understand this, Paul is redeeming certain aspects of culture and using those things for the furtherance of the gospel. You see, there's a couple of different approaches. One approach is to disconnect, disengage from culture. All culture outside of the church is bad. So stay away from it. That wasn't Paul's mentality. Paul's mentality was, hey, this is the world we're in. And so I'm going to take from, from what I can get a hold of in this culture, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to turn it around, and I'm going to use it for a presentation of, in this case, of course, it's the true God, the God that you worship without knowing him, I am going to proclaim to you. So he meets them on their own turf, turf and he begins to speak to them about the unknown God, and he tells them five things about this God that they need to know. Starting in verse 24, he tells them, first of all, that he's the creator of the universe. Look what he says. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. So that's where he starts. Because, of course, they had temples everywhere. And Paul says, no, the, the, this God that you don't know, I'm going to tell you, he doesn't dwell in a temple because he made everything. A, a temple couldn't even contain him. Remember, even the temple in Jerusalem, which was the place where God chose to reside, Solomon understood when he made it, the heavens of the heavens can't contain you, he said, much less this temple. And so Paul is just presenting to them that there is a God who made everything and who, since he made everything, he's not going to be dwelling in one of these temples that people have made. Secondly, he tells them that he is the sustainer of life. Look at the next verse. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, 
since he gives to all life and breath and all things. So, so Paul presents God as a God who, you see, among, among the Greeks, the gods needed to be worshiped. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A Woman's Battle for Grace Why God is More Than You Expected and Everything You Need by Cheryl Broderson The battle for grace is real The battle rages on for men and women alike And the stakes are high Spiritual well-being, mental health, physical health, emotional health, and social well-being Grace affects every area of your life In her book, A Woman's Battle for Grace, Cheryl Broderson shares practical ways that men and women can draw on the available resources of God's grace. The book, A Woman's Battle for Grace by Cheryl Broderson, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.